Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes? We're continuing our study. We had uh, our introduction a few weeks ago. Uh, You have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, so it's quite easy to find. And uh, we have a longer reading this morning. It's chapter 1 and verse 12 to the end of chapter 2. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out for, out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has uh, had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, And behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart was, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Uh, for what can the man who comes after the king, what can the man do who comes after the king? Only that what has already been done. Then I saw that there were uh, that there is more to gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more to gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I become so very wise? And I said in my heart, that this also is vanity, for of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because 
What is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, yet he will be master for all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is also, I saw, is from God, from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to one who pleases God, to one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. Jim worked hard all his life. He had just retired and we were looking forward to having some time together. He had a massive heart attack and he's dead. What's the point of it all? We brought this child into the world. We sacrificed everything to provide for him and now he has gone his own way and he's in trouble with the police. What's the point of it all? We were married two years and we were saving up to get a place of our own. I thought everything was fine, but he has just left me for someone else. What's the point of it all? I've worked hard at school. I can never please my parents. I can never get the grades that they want me to get. I'm such a disappointment to them. What's the point of it all? We had to uh, wait eight years before I became pregnant. And now our little girl has cancer. What's the point of it all? The way things are going, we're all in the Ukraine. We're all going to get nuked anyway. What's the point of it all? I go to work. I come home. I have my dinner. I watch TV. I go to bed. I get up. I repeat the process all over again. What's the point of it all? What's the point of it all? What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? And if there is a God, does that God even care? What's the point of life? What is the purpose in your life? American Constitution says that all men are created equal and are endowed with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, for most people, I think that is their golden life. That's what they want out of life, to be happy. Basel Pascal, the French uh, philosopher, says all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever uh, different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, to be happy. This is the motive for every action of every man, even those who kill themselves, to be happy. And I don't doubt if we were to take a straw poll this morning, 
and this congregation, happiness would figure high on the list of most people's priorities. We would agree with that great other great philosopher, Ken Dodd, who said, happiness, happiness, the greatest gift that I possess. And if we feel that, if we know that, if we can say that, we can sing with Ken Dodd, we are the luckiest human in the human race. But can we really know happiness? Is there any path to happiness? Is happiness obtainable in a world that is broken and falling apart? Well, that's the reason why the book of Ecclesiastes is in our Bibles. It's a book that tries to answer that question, what's the point of it all, and seeks to show us where true happiness is to be found. Now, in the section that we're looking at this morning, which is a long section, chapter 1, verse 12, through to the end of chapter 2, Solomon, the preacher, the teacher, the king over Israel in Jerusalem, speaks autobiographically about his quest as to the meaning and purpose of life, his pursuit of happiness. And uh, what he tells us uh, uh, is startling and shocking because he tells us, first of all, what doesn't work before he tells us what does work. Thomas Edison, the inventor of the electric light bulb, conducted 50,000 experiments, all of which failed before he invented the storage battery. When asked about his lack of results, he says, results? I've got plenty of results. I know 50,000 things that don't work. Well, Solomon in this passage uh, comes uh, drawing on his own experience, his own personal history, and tells us things that don't work when it comes to the pursuit of happiness. And we would save ourselves a lot of trouble if we would listen to him. He has experienced life to agree that none, to a degree that none of us ever will. He has gone down every path and he has ex explored everything available. He had the opportunity to do it. He had the finances to do it. Do it. He had the position and the influence to do it. Um, and he tried everything that came his way. And from his life, we see four or five pursuits that he engaged in in search of this elusive goal of happiness and the, uh, to determine the purpose for living that didn't work. The first one is found at the end of chapter 1, and he tries the educational approach. Think, 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 he says. Tony Blair in the 1996 Labour Conference said that the three top priorities of the new Labour government would be education, education, education. Well, that's Solomon's first experiment when it comes to the meaning of life. Think, think, think. Look at verses 16 and 17 of uh, chapter 1. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this was also a striving after the wind. Solomon says, I began by trying to think through the issues of life. And if you know your Bible at all, you will know there was no one better qualified than Solomon to think through the issues of life. 
The Bible tells us that Solomon had a great breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He was an expert on plant life, on animal life, on reptiles, on fish, on architecture, on art. And people traveled from all over the known world to listen to the wisdom of Solomon, including the Queen of Sheba. He was no empty head. His wisdom was literally proverbial. There was no one better equipped to find the answer in wisdom if the answer could be found in wisdom. But look at what he says there in verse 19. But in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. The NIV says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. That word vexation or sorrow could be translated as frustration. It's frustrating, he says. When you look for answers in wisdom and knowledge, you're always disappointed. And we know that at first hand, don't we? In the last hundred years, there has been an explosion in human knowledge. There are people alive today, perhaps even in this congregation this morning, who can remember the arrival of the first car in Ballymena and yet have lived to see uh, the possibility of flying to the other side of the world in, uh, in a day. For hundreds and hundreds of years, if people wanted to travel anywhere, they had to travel on foot or by horseback. And now Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson are offering commercial flights into space. We have antibiotics to cure infection, vaccines to prevent infection, surgery to remove infection. We can now operate on the heart without opening the chest, and we can remove cataracts uh, from our eyes through a day procedure. I remember the good old days when you got your messages at night on your answering machine at the end of the day. But now we're bombarded with messages all the time. There has been this great explosion in knowledge. But is the world a safer place? Is the world a better place? Is the world a happier place than it was 20 50 or even 100 years ago. I suppose in some ways it is. Microwaves, washing machines, and my favorite, the dishwasher, uh, make life easier. But are you really happier than your granny was when she had none of those things? It's true what Solomon is saying here. The more you know, the more frustrated you become. You would expect knowledge and wisdom to provide answers, but they don't. What do they give? Well, look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. What is lacking cannot be counted. The more that you... you, you um, you know, you discover that there's a whole lot of things that you don't know. Knowledge is always in deficit. Thomas, Thomas Edison said at the end of his life, he, he felt like a little boy on a beach picking up a couple of pebbles and closely examining them um, uh, and scrutinizing them. And yet there was a whole beach of pebbles before him. Thinking is like that. The more you think, the more you realize that there are a lot of things you don't know. But it's even worse than that. It's not just uh, what is lacking cannot be counted. He says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. 
There is something twisted in us that no amount of education can straighten out. Like the university professor with all his qualifications and is convicted for domestic violence, for beating his wife. He knows he's acting like an animal, but he can't stop himself in spite of his education. There is a perversity, a twistedness, a kink in our natures that no amount of education can deal with. What is crooked cannot be made straight. It's good to think Solomon commends it in chapter 2 and 12 to 14, but thinking in itself doesn't work. It just leads to frustration and sorrow. Think, think, think. That's Solomon's first approach, the educated approach. But it doesn't work. It doesn't have the answers. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't bring happiness to the individual. All right, said Solomon, let's try something else. Instead of think, 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 the educational approach, let's try the hedonistic approach. Fun, fun, fun. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Hedonism comes out of, uh, or came out of uh, Cyrene in Libya about 400 years before the birth of Christ. It was devised by the uh, philosopher Aristippus, who was a disciple of Socrates. And he taught that the highest goal in human life is the pursuit of pleasure, of sensual self-indulgence. Hedonism comes from the Greek word for pleasure. But that kind of thinking wasn't invented by Aristippus in the 4th century. 600 years before that, Solomon was talking about the same thing. He mentions it there in uh, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. He says, In my heart, uh, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is, it? use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Solomon turns from knowledge to pleasure, and of course this is where life is for so many people today. They've given up trying to find an answer and to make sense of things. Life doesn't make sense, so let's not try to understand it. Let's just live it. Let's just indulge ourselves. Let's just live for the moment. And that's how a lot of people think today. Anything or everything is acceptable just as, uh, as long as it feels good and brings you pleasure. And what's Solomon's conclusion? Verse 1, but behold, he says, this was also vanity. And there's that word again that was mentioned, that I mentioned in our first study. The word occurs 80 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It means without substance. Uh, it's insubstantial. It's transitory. It's translated in the NIV as meaningless and by some versions as empty. But it's more than that. It's used of a, a, a puff of uh, smoke or a, a breath of air or a vapor which not only is insubstantial, you can't grasp it, you can't get hold of it, but it disappears as quickly as it comes. The steam fills the kitchen and you can't see your hand in front of your face, but you open the windows and within a, a moment that steam disappears. Well, pleasure is like that. It gratifies, but it doesn't satisfy. It's empty, it's hollow, it's fleeting, it doesn't last. It's madness, he says in verse 2. It is of no lasting significance. I said of laughter, it's mad. 
and of pleasure what use it is. And maybe there's some young people out there uh, this morning and you're saying to yourself, I just can't wait to get away from home from the straitjacket of a Christian family and I just can't wait uh, to get out into the world and away from the church that I can really live. You can't wait to break free from the constraints that have been placed upon you. Let me urge you this morning to listen to this man Solomon and you'll save yourself a lot of trouble. He's been there, he's done that, and he's got the t-shirt. He's been to places you will never go, and he has experimented with things that you will never experiment with. Sex, well, he says in verse 8, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. He had a thousand concubines, sex workers. He could have any kind of sex he wanted. He didn't watch pornography. He was living in a pornographic experience. Booze. He tried booze. Verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer the body with wine. He tried it all. Look at what he says there in verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Fun, fun, fun. He tried it all, but he found that pleasure didn't have the answer. Pleasure gratifies, but it doesn't satisfy, and there's a world of difference between the two. Pleasure gratifies at the time, but when your experience, uh, when that uh, experience of thrill is over, the titillation of a few nerve endings, the intoxication of the drink, the, uh, the uh, hearing of the, the comic at the comic club, you're left wanting more. You just want another fix. The pleasures of life do not satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. There are pleasures in sin for sure, but they're only for a season. Take my word for it, says Solomon. I have tried it, and it doesn't look, doesn't work. Look at what he says in verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Many have found that to be the case. Just read the tragic uh, biographies of many of the great comedians. Tony Hancock was one of the most famous and one of the most original uh, comedians uh, in uh, this modern age. In 1961, 30% of the adult population in the queue in the UK, watched his weekly show, Hancock's Half Hour. He was frequently reduced to tears of laughter while recording the show, but in 1968, he took his own life at the age of 44. He was a deeply unhappy man. He talked with his friends, Spike Milligan and uh, Kenneth Williams, but both of them were struggling with depression at the same time. John Cleese, Caroline and Hearn, Peter Sellers, Stephen Fry, all suffered with depression in fact, Stephen Fry admitted this year that he tried to end his own life. And of course, Robert Williams, from Morgan Mindy fame, from Dead Poets Society, from Good Morning Vietnam, zany in the extreme, that took his life in 2014. You see, all of those people came to understand what Solomon discovered 3,000 years before. Pleasure and laughter do not have the answers. They gratify, but they do not satisfy. They are 
vanity, they're empty, they're temporary. They help at the moment, but when the moment has passed, they leave you with nothing. So Solomon, drawing on his own life experience, is carrying out an experiment on the pursuit of happiness. He has considered the educational approach, think, 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 the hedonistic approach, fun, fun, fun. Now I try something else, work, work, work. The industrious approach, just throw yourself into your work. Did your teacher ever say to you at school, uh, you won't get anything out of life unless you put something in? My parents used to say that to me all the time. Well, let's try that, says Solomon. Let's throw ourselves into our work. And what we have in verses 4 to 6 are the confessions of a workaholic. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. There are some people who have boundless energy. And they're involved in so many things. You wonder how they manage to fit everything in in the day. They're working uh, to live, not, uh, uh, sorry, they're not working to live. They, are, they live to work. Work becomes an obsession. Well, Solomon was like that. If you read verses 4 to 6, he makes you tired uh, listening to what he accomplished, building houses, planting vineyards, creating gardens and parks, venting, devising an irrigation system for those gardens. Work, work, work. He throws himself into life and he fills uh, his life with worthwhile projects. He's got any number of irons in the fire and pots boiling on the stove. That's what someone calls living life in a fast lane. Is that where you are this morning, trying to find satisfaction in your job, in your career, in your work? You're not working to live, you're living to work. And you're making everyone miserable in the process because you have no time for your wife, for your husband, or for your kids and the family. Well, Solomon tries that. And it's a waste of time. Look at what he says in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had experienced uh, the toils are had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. There's that word again, vanity, empty, and a striving after the wind, and there is nothing to be gained under the sun. I like that phrase, a striving after the wind. The NIV translates it, a chasing after the wind. Solomon uses it five times in this section. It's like, it's like a dog on a stormy day chasing a leaf and uh, it pounces. But just as it's about to land in the leaf, a gust of wind comes and blows the leaf away and takes it out from under the dog's feet. And the, the dog has to change direction and does it again and repeats it again. But it's exactly the, the same thing. It's fruitless. It's pointless. It's useless. One commentator paraphrases it as building sandcastles on the beach. It's there one day and it's gone the next. Another paraphrases it, digging holes in water. Another chasing bubbles. You, you chase after a bubble, you reach out, you touch it, and ping, it disappears. Literally in the Hebrew, it's trying to shepherd the wind. You just have no control over it. You plan uh, a mini budget to restore the economy and the next day the economy is tanked and the next week you lose your job. Well, that's what Solomon's saying in verse 11. I considered all that my hands had made, the energy I put in 
And what have I to show for it? What satisfaction did it bring? Nothing, zero. Silch, it's like chasing the wind. Bubbles that burst in your hand. It's good to work hard. Of course it is. But work in itself does not provide the meaning and the purpose in life and certainly doesn't bring happiness. It's a chasing after the wind. Well, here Solomon is laying before us his uh, experience of life. He's opening his heart and he's telling us things that he tried that didn't work. What life isn't all about. So he takes the educational approach, think, 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 and he shows how empty it is. Then the hedonistic approach, fun, 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 but it's mad and empty, he says. Then the industrious approach, work, 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 but it's simply a chasing after the wind. Well, he says, let's try one more approach, the materialistic approach, grab, grab, grab. It's closely related to fun, 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 and work, 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 but fulfillment and happiness is to be found in the acquisition of things. Look at verse 7. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. All of these things, of course, were the fruit of his hard work. But he sought to find pleasure or happiness in those things, in the accumulation of things. He had slaves to do the work. He had flocks and herds to satisfy every appetite. He had silver and gold. In fact, the Bible tells us that during the days of Solomon, uh, gold was more common than pebbles or stones. He had it all. He had singers um, uh, to entertain him. It's like the wealthy Chinese businessman who flew in Jennifer Lopez to his home and paid her a staggering 1.25 million to sing uh, at his birthday party for 40 minutes. Well, that was Solomon. He had everything he wanted uh, and he desired. He de denied himself nothing, but yet of all, all those things left him empty because the thing about things is that you can't take them with you. All that you have in this world and accumulated in this world must be left behind. You, you can't, like uh, some Egyptian pharaoh, build a pyramid and bring your things into that pyramid in the hope that they'll follow you into the next world. As an old Spanish proverb says, a shroud has no pockets. And that's what Solomon says in verse 16. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will uh, have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Everyone dies. And the things that we have accumulated, the reputation that we have earned, none of those things can be taken with us. One of the stupidest bumper stickers that I have ever seen, uh, I saw on the Porsche in America, and it says, said, he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. Boys and their toys. Little boys have small toys. Big boys have more expensive toys. And he who dies with the most toys wins. I don't know what empty head came up with that. Because when you die, everything, everything is left behind. 
But then people say, well, it's not for me I'm doing it. It's, it's not for me I'm accumulating things. It's for the children. I'm, I'm doing it for the children. Have you ever heard that excuse? Well, Solomon deals with that in verses 18 uh, to 21. Just look at verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of, uh, of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. You work for your children. But how do you know that your children won't turn out to be a fool? You could be leaving your inheritance to a fool. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. It's almost prophetic what Solomon says here. Because he left his kingdom to his son Rehoboam, who turned out to be a fool and let the kingdom slip through his fingers. Even though he thought he had a tight grip, he let it slip. And, that's this, and that story can be repeated over and over again. Barbara Hutton was the heiress to the Woolworth Empire and inherited $38 million in 1938 on her 21st birthday, equivalent to $1 billion today. $1 billion today. But Barbara Hutton was a compulsive shopper. She had seven husbands, including the actor Cary Grant. Their nickname was Cash and Cary. And uh, by 1979, at the age of 66, she went bankrupt. Her father worked every single day of his life, never took a holiday, and he left his kingdom to a fool. That's Solomon's point. You will die, and you can't take it with you, and even if you leave it to others, you might be leaving it to a fool. My brother is a university professor, and uh, he's also a communist, and he doesn't believe in inherited wealth. He's no children, so it was an easy decision to come to. But uh, he's, he's going to leave his, his inheritance, he says, uh, to the Australian government. Well, I can't think of a bigger fool than to leave your inheritance to, to the government. That's Solomon's point. The answer to life and the pursuit of happiness is not to be found in material possessions. This world is a tragic place for those who have plenty to live on, but nothing to live for. What's the point of it all? Where do we find happiness? Well, we could try the educational approach, think, think, think. The hedonistic approach, fun, fun, fun. Or what about the industrious answer, work, work, work. Or even the materialistic approach, grab, grab, grab. Well, all of those things, says Solomon, are vanity, empty and temporary, a chasing after the wind. If you seek to find fulfillment and happiness in these things, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. It's like shepherding the wind, he says. It's like chasing bubbles. It's like burning, uh, building sandcastles on the beach. It's, 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 it has no substance to it. Look at verse 17. So I hated life. Because what was done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He says, it depressed me, depressed me even to think about it. It's a striving after the wind. That's life under the sun. But is there any other way to make sense of life, to find fulfillment in life? Well, yes, there is. There is the spiritual approach and the eternal approach. There is think, think, think. 
fun, 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 work, 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 grab, grab, grab. But Solomon says, what about the God, God, God approach? And in case you think I'm a bit flippant, in those two verses, 24 to 26, Solomon mentions God three times. God, God, God. Look at verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, notice that, from apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to this sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. You see, from verse 14 of chapter 1 right through to chapter uh, 2 and verse 23, God is not mentioned. He's completely absent. But in these two verses, God is brought into the picture, and what a difference God makes. Do you see what Solomon is saying? Leave God out of it, people say. But if you leave God out of it, it's meaningless. It's pointless. It's a chasing after the wind. It's chasing bubbles that burst when they come into contact with you. Life always disappoints when it's lived under the sun, when it's lived as if there is no God. But when you bring God into the picture, life is different indeed. Leave God out of it, people say. All right, says Solomon. Uh, let's leave God out of it. Let me tell you what life is like without God. It's a chasing after the wind. But bring God into the picture. And it looks so different. Notice the words he uses. Enjoyment, joy. The NIV says satisfaction and happiness. There is happiness to be found. Verse 25. For apart from him, uh, who can have enjoyment? I notice the things that Solomon talks about are very ordinary things. They're everyday things, eating, drinking, and working. There's nothing fancy about that. There's nothing profound about that. Eating, drinking, and working. But when these things are done with God in the picture, they're not a chasing after the wind. They're the means of happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Now, it's not that we can find those things in ourselves. This is something that God brings to us, that God gives to us. Verse 24, this also I saw is from the hand of God. Man doesn't have it in himself to make sense of life, to find meaning and purpose in life. It's something that needs to be brought to us. It's something that needs to be received from the hand of God. Man doesn't have the answers. He doesn't have anything in himself to explain life. It has to be given to him by God. When I was 12 or 13, I bought my first record uh, single, and it was, I'm embarrassed to tell you, it was Paper Lace, Bully Don't Be a Hero. And I, I, I brought it home, and my father was furious. You know why he was furious? Because it was a waste of money. And you know why it was a waste of money? Because we didn't have a record player bought the record because everybody was buying records, but that record, play, uh, record needed to be put on a, a record player to let the music out. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, and we are restless 
until we find rest in you. We were made by God and we were made for God. And there is music in your life. And no one will hear that music until you uh, are in a relationship with God, until the record and the record player are brought together. Until you have God in your life, you will have no answer to the true meaning of life. Life is pointless and happiness is elusive because your relationship with God is all wrong. You notice verse 26 where he draws a contrast between the, the secular thinker and the, the believer. He says in verse 26, For to the one who pleases God, to, to pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, to the sinner. See, that's the problem. The record player and the record need to come together to let the music out. But something has come between us and God that prevents that from happening. And that's why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to bring the two things together, that we might have God in our lives, that we might have color in our lives, that we might have fulfillment in our lives, that we might have peace in our lives, that we might find satisfaction in our lives. Jesus said, I came, this is his own testimony, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He can forgive your sin. He can cleanse you through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. He can reconcile you to God. And He can enable you to be the person that God wants you to be. Instead of chasing after the wind, you find peace and happiness in God. Listen to Solomon. The answer is not to be found in thinking, 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 fun, 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 work, 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 grab, 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 but it's to be found in God, God, God. It's having a relationship with God, and the only way that you can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen.